Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who continues to speak to us. Help us, O Lord, this morning to learn your ways by studying your word together. And then help us to run on your paths, for you have set our hearts free. O Lord, it is so wonderful to know that it is by grace we have been saved, that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And so, Lord, help us to run freely in your paths, doing what delights you, and help us to know what it is that we are to do by looking at your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through John chapter 7 together, and we've been looking at how Jesus is speaking to the crowds at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's gone up to Jerusalem at a very important moment in the Israelite calendar, and he has spoken about how people should come and drink from him. People should come and believe in him, and then they will receive uh, streams of living water in them. That is the Holy Spirit who will come and work in their hearts. And we've come to the end of chapter 7 where we see a particular dialogue going on, not with Jesus, but amongst the religious leaders. And it concerns the guards who have been sent out to arrest Jesus. They were sent out earlier in the chapter, earlier during the time of the feast, to arrest Jesus for what he was teaching. We see that in verse 32, which we uh, read uh, when we were going through that passage together. John chapter 7, verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. People were whispering in the crowd that that Jesus might be the Christ. Uh, can the, if the Christ was to come, would he do more miraculous signs than this man? And so the Pharisees are starting to see that Jesus is indeed a serious threat to them, that people are starting to believe that Jesus could be the Messiah that they have long awaited for. And as a result, they send out these temple guards, these Levites, to arrest Jesus and to bring him in. But they don't arrest Jesus. And that is what we're looking at today, the dialogue that happens between the religious leaders and the temple guards. And we see in verse 45 that they don't bring him back in. Verse 45, it says, Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? The temple guards come back, but they do not bring Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are asking, Why didn't you bring him in? And what is the answer that the temple guards give? Verse 46, John 7, verse 46, No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. These guards have been arrested themselves by Christ's words. They have listened to Jesus speak and they could not bring themselves to arrest him because he spoke in a way that no other man they had ever heard had spoken. And so what is the response of the religious leaders to this testimony even from the guards as they come back and say this man speaks like no one else we have ever heard what do the religious leaders do in response well they end up bullying those who don't agree with them by calling them ignorant basically this is a common action by people today towards Christians they love to make Christians feel stupid for believing in Jesus Christ. And they do it in subtly different ways. And there's quite a few ways given to us in the text this morning. As we look at the way the religious leaders respond here, we see at least five different ways that they call those who trust in Jesus Christ ignorant or stupid. How do we see that? Well, one way is they call Christians fools because they have been deceived. Verse 47, the first thing that they say to these guards... 
You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. What are they saying? You're ignorant, you're fools, you're deceived. That's your problem. Someone has convinced you of the truth, but it's not actually the truth. You are deceived people. And that is said of Christians today. I have an atheist friend who recently said to me that the reason you're a Christian, Joel, is because of your religious upbringing. Because you had parents who raised you in the Christian faith, that is why you're a Christian today. He said it's very strong within someone, whatever they were raised as, it is very hard for them to break against that. And so that is why I see, even though I recognise, he says that I'm, I'm a fairly bright person, he says, your problem, Joel, is that you were raised by religious parents. And so what is he saying? He's saying I'm deceived. I've been deceived from a very young age. If I'd just been taught the way of the truth, then I wouldn't be believing in Jesus Christ. That's a common attack put upon Christians. Oh, yes, you're a lovely person. Oh, yes, you're very bright. But ultimately, what's your problem? You've been deceived by other people. And that's the claim of the religious leaders to the guards here. They say, you have been deceived. That's one way that Christians can be made to be foolish by those who aren't believers. What's another way that Christians can be made to feel like fools? Well, it's by claiming that Christians are fools because authorities don't believe in them. The authorities don't believe in Christ. Only an ignorant mob would believe in Jesus. And that's in verse 48. Verse 47 has the accusation that they're deceived Verse 48 says, Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? They raise the religious leaders as examples of people who have not believed in Jesus Christ. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, do you realise that you're going in a stream that is very different from those who are experts, those who are clever people in this world? And this is a common attack, that you look down upon the popular masses. It's only an ignorant mob that actually believes in things that are where they're deceived, that they're ignorant mob, they don't know the truth. Uh, this is even not just with Christianity. You see it from the upper classes. They like to look down upon the popular mass and say, oh, yes, they're an ignorant group of people. Why is pop music often condemned? Because it's pop music. It's popular and so if it's popular, it can't be good. If the masses enjoy it, it can't actually be good. It has to be high-cultured if it is good. And so we look down upon those who are part of the mass of people. It's the same with the accusation of why President Trump got elected. The charge of populism is made, that it's the popular masses that elected him, the, the people who don't know what's good for them, elected President Trump. I'm not making a comment either way as to whether Trump should have been elected or not, but that is the charge that is made. It's this ignorant mass of Americans who don't know any better that have elected him. And it's the same for us as Christians. People can look down upon us as an ignorant group of popular mass, that the authorities, the wise people of this world, aren't believers in Jesus Christ. If you look at all the, the powerful politicians, how many of them truly believe in Jesus Christ, really trust him? And even in our own country, we actually can have people who are politicians, unlike uh, America, it's very difficult to be a politician there and not and claim that you're an atheist. But here in Australia, we're quite capable of electing to government people who are atheists. And so we look at them and think, oh, they're a smart, powerful person. But they don't believe in Jesus Christ. 
And so we feel like we are the ignorant ones. There must be something that we're missing if we trust in Jesus Christ. Or you look at scientists, they're held up as, look at the science community, all these experts, how many of them believe in Jesus Christ? They're the clever ones in our world. And they do not believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, what does that say about us? Well, we must be the ignorant ones. We're the ones who are foolish, who are stupid. And even when it comes to religious people, there's often this sentiment that the religious experts must know best, as we see here in John's Gospel. That is the charge made to the guards, that only you should trust the judgment of the people who are in charge, even within the religious institutions, And you shouldn't think for yourself. You should trust those who are experts. This is a teaching that is common in Roman Catholicism. In the Roman Catholic Catechism, it says that interpreting Scripture is ultimately subject to the judgment of the church, which means, of course, the church hierarchy, which exercises the divinely conferred commission and ministry of watching over and interpreting the word of God. Who is to interpret the word of God? It is the church. It is the clergy. It is not the job of the popular masses to interpret the scriptures. You're not supposed to read the Bible and interpret it for yourself. You're supposed to listen to what the religious leaders teach you. Otherwise, you're going to make a mistake. Listen to the experts. The Catechism continues. It says, But I would not believe in the gospel had not the authority of the Catholic Church already moved me. What moves you to believe in the gospel according to the Catholic Church? The Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church has moved you to believe in the gospel. And so if you think something that is contrary to the church, then obviously you are the wrong one and they're the right one, which is what is happening here with Jesus. The guards come back, they've made a judgment about Jesus, and the religious leaders say, hang on a minute, you're meant to follow the religious authorities. You're not meant to be making judgments for yourself about Jesus. And that is how people are often treated who follow Jesus Christ today. If they start to follow him, put their trust in him, religious leaders are held up who may have a contrary view to what they have, or it may be that scientists or powerful politicians are held up as examples of people who are experts, who are clever people, and do not believe in Jesus Christ. So you're a fool for believing in Jesus Christ yourself. How else are people made to feel foolish for believing in Jesus Christ? Well, it's given to us in the text here that people can claim that Christians are fools because Christians don't know the facts. And we see that in verse 49. The Pharisees continue to say, "Has in verse 48, they say, has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. How do they say that Christians are fools? Because they don't know the facts. They are ignorant people. Yes, they're a popular mass, but sometimes you might have a popular mass who actually does know some facts, but they're saying these people who trust in Christ, they just don't know the facts. And this is the case today as well. People look at Christians and say, if you just knew the facts, you would know that it is foolish to believe in Jesus Christ. You would come away from Christianity and live in the truth. This is a common attack made by atheists towards Christians, that we're fools, we just don't know the facts of this world, and so we're foolish to believe that God did something. If we just studied the world better, we would know the facts of science and we would know that it's foolish to believe in Jesus Christ. The 
well-known biologist Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous atheist, he says, the fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. He says that it is a fact that the world evolved out of literally nothing. And so the fact of evolution is so strong that he would be mad to attempt to do words, uh, to, to attempt words to do it justice. It is such a fact. And if Christians just knew this fact, they would stop believing in God. They would stop believing in Jesus Christ. They're just an ignorant group of people who do not know the laws of this world, the laws of nature. And that is the charge that is being made there by the Pharisees to these guards, that the popular mass are just ignorant of the law. They just don't know enough of the facts. Then there's a fourth way that Christians are claimed to be fools, and that is because they are cursed. There is there at the end of verse 49, it says, No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Some people look at Christians and see that we're ignorant, and the reason we're ignorant is because we're actually cursed. People of other religions can look at us and say, yes, they're a stupid group of people, and they're that way because their God has cursed us so that we believe something that's actually not true. And maybe Jews would look down upon us and say, just like these religious leaders did so many years ago, and say, why are there so many Christians in the world? Well, it's because God, the God of Judaism, has cursed them so that they trust in something that is not true. He's handed them over to judgment to believe in a Messiah who hasn't actually come. And so we're ignorant again. We're fools. We're cursed fools. And then there's a final way, a fifth way, that Christians are seen to be fools. And this is given to us in the text, a charge that is made against Christians. And that is that we are just country bumpkins. Uh, that we are just common tradies and workers who don't know what's best for us. It's similar to some of the charges that have been given, but it's really uh, brought out for us in the following verses from verse 50 through to verse 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who's one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? So Nicodemus actually raises a point of order and says, shouldn't we listen to this guy? And what do they say in verse 52? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. You have to know a bit of Israelite historical background and a bit of geography there to understand what the charge is. But Galilee is the northern part of Israel and that is where the working class are. That's the farmers, the people who are out on the land. And so they are basically the country people. Whereas in Jerusalem, where the religious leaders are, they're the upper class, they're the ones who know what's going on, they're the ones who don't dirty their hands digging around in the soil. And so they look down upon those who lived in Galilee. And when Nicodemus raises a question there, what do they do? They say, are you from Galilee too? They know Jesus is from Galilee. And they say, are you with him? Are you actually a country bumpkin as well? And this is a charge that is made against Christians today. Yes, we're part of the popular mass who's too ignorant to know what's good for us. And if you look at us more closely, you see that most of Christians are made up of those who are from the, less, uh, the, the, the lower classes of society, the poorer people. 
I even see this as people looked at uh, the vote that we had, uh, the survey on same-sex marriage. They looked at the suburbs in Sydney that stood out from the rest of the country because they actually voted no. They had the majority in their suburbs, in their electorates, are voting no. And people looked at those electorates and said, what makes up those electorates? Ah, they pointed out, they're the working class electorates. They're the non-European overseas born electorates. They're the religious communities. Ah, that's why they voted no. It's the working class that's out there. And so if they were just a little bit better educated, if they knew a little bit more about the facts of life, they wouldn't have voted no. They would have voted yes. But we understand what those people are. They're the working class. They're the Westies of Sydney. And so, all right, we look down on them and say, okay. And if someone comes along who is a Christian, you say, are you a Westie too? Oh, are you a tradesman? That's what you are. Oh, that's why you're a Christian. That's why you follow Jesus Christ. And so there's this slur that's put upon us so that we feel like we are just an ignorant person for following Jesus Christ. Now, why is this attack on Christians so important to note? Why is it important to note that there's at least five different ways that these religious leaders here call Christians fools for following Jesus? Well, it's because it can be quite debilitating, this kind of attack. When someone is called a fool, it can really hurt. And they can be shut down particularly when you consider a new Christian. Someone becomes a Christian. They hear Jesus. They declare, no one else has ever spoken like this man does before. I'm going to put my trust in him. And they tell someone. They tell a family member. They tell a friend. And that person says, you're a fool. You're stupid for following Jesus Christ. What do they do? What does that do to the Christian, the new Christian? They can shut down. It can be quite debilitating to be called stupid for being a Christian. And we see that with Nicodemus, even in the text. Nicodemus, verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? He's just raised a point of order. He hasn't said, I follow Jesus Christ. He's just said, shouldn't we get this guy in and actually listen to him or go out and see him if he won't come to us, if we can't arrest him? Well, how about we go out to him and actually hear what he's got to say? Doesn't our law actually say that that's what we're supposed to do? It just raises a point of order. And he gets shut down by being called a Galilean, a country bumpkin. And we see that nothing more is said by Nicodemus after that. Yes, we do hear about Nicodemus later in the gospel, but not at this point. He's shut down. He doesn't speak anymore in favour of Jesus. Even though he's just speaking very lightly, he's shut down. It's a very debilitating attack to be called a country bumpkin, to be called ignorant, to be called foolish. Even for mature Christians, not just new Christians, for mature Christians it can be quite debilitating. We see that the Apostle Peter in the book of Galatians was shrinking back from eating with Gentile Christians. Why? Fear of the Jews. He was afraid of other people and what they would think of him for eating with Gentile Christians. And he shrunk back and so Paul had to confront him. But even the Apostle Paul, he asked for prayer at different points for himself in his letters. 
What is one of the prayers that he asked for at the end of Ephesians? That he would declare the gospel fearlessly, as he should. Why does the Apostle Paul need to ask that people would pray that he would preach the gospel fearlessly? Because he knows it's easy to be afraid of those who would look down upon him and call him ignorant and stupid for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Calling people fools is a very effective attack upon them as it aims at their pride And we love to keep our pride intact. We don't want people to call us stupid, idiot or dumb. This is what, these are the words that are actually banned in our house. We don't usually say the word stupid. We don't say the word idiot. And we don't call people dumb. Why do we ban those words? We ban a few other words, which I will not repeat from the pulpit. Um, But those words are banned in our house because we know that those words really hurt. And that people can be made to do dumb things if they're called dumb. Like shrink back from what is right and true. Just as Nicodemus was shrinking back from what is right and true because they were calling him a Galilean. And he was ashamed to be associated with those who are from Galilee. If you don't believe me, just consider yourself. Has anyone ever made you feel ignorant, dumb, stupid for being a Christian? And did you stop talking, stop witnessing, stop affirming Jesus Christ in front of that person because of the way they looked down upon you? Maybe you even started doubting Jesus Christ because they held up, look at the scientists of the world, they don't believe in Jesus, and so you started to think, oh, maybe I'm wrong after all. Did you even feel that way in this last week? Did someone look down upon you for being a Christian and you shrank back as a result? It happens all too often. I've felt it. I'm sure everyone in this room, if you've been living as a Christian for any length of time, someone has attacked you by calling you stupid, a fool, ignorant for being a Christian. So what is one of the best countermeasures to this attack of someone calling you a fool? How can we counter what the religious leaders were doing with the temple guards and with Nicodemus here? Well, remember that experts can be wrong. That the experts of this world can be wrong. And this doesn't just happen in religious matters. This happens across the board. The New York Times reported on famous experts who were mistaken, made big mistakes, and I've got a few examples here for us today to see that experts can indeed be wrong. Lord Kelvin the celebrated British physicist, inventor and president of the Royal Society in 1895 observed that heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. Heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. It is impossible to have an aeroplane. And then in 1897, he found that radio has no future. There is no future for the radio. And in 1900, he assured his scientific colleagues that X-rays are a hoax. Three things, he said, planes won't fly, radio has no future, and X-rays are a hoax. He was wrong on three counts. The president of the Michigan Savings Bank advised Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company because the horse is here to stay and the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. The horse is here to stay. Cars are a fad. Don't invest in that company. The president of Michigan Savings Bank 
an expert in finance, made a mistake. Thomas Watson, founder of IBM in 1943, said, I think there's a world market for about five computers. Founder of IBM, sounds like he was shooting himself in the foot. There's a world market for about five computers. And Paul von Hindenburg, president of Germany in 1931, is reported to have said of Hitler that he was a queer fellow who had never become chancellor. The best he could hope for would be to be head of the postal department. In his judgment, Hitler should aim a bit lower. He'll never be Chancellor of Germany. Postal Department. Maybe he can get in there. That's where he'll be head. Experts can be wrong. And the experts in John chapter 7, these religious leaders, they were wrong as well. I've got five counter-arguments against them showing that they were wrong. How were they wrong? Well, they hadn't even heard the one that they were condemning. Verse 51, Nicodemus points out, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? Nicodemus points out that most of them hadn't actually gone and heard Jesus preach. They hadn't heard what Jesus was saying. Which means the religious leaders, they're like children saying, I don't like Brussels sprouts, and they haven't even tasted the Brussels sprouts. They know nothing about Brussels sprouts, they just know that they don't like them. That's what these religious leaders were like, these experts. They hadn't even heard Jesus speak. Secondly, they said that no leader believed in them. In verse 48, it says, Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Well, there's one, Nicodemus. At least he tentatively has faith at this point. We know he really does have faith later on because he goes and gets Jesus' body. They don't know what they're talking about. There is at least one leader, just within two verses later, who shows that he is a believer in Jesus Christ, or at least moving in that direction. Whereas they said there's none of the religious leaders trusting in him. So you're an ignorant fool if you believe in Jesus. Also, they accuse the crowd of not knowing the law. They say in verse 49, no, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. That's why they believe. They don't know the law. But Nicodemus raises the point that they don't know the law, the religious leaders. He says, shouldn't we hear the person before condemning him? They show that they don't know Deuteronomy chapter 19, that passage that we had read for us earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 16 says, If a malicious witness takes a stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. Are they making a thorough investigation? No. What does that mean? They don't know the law. They're the experts who are meant to know the law. They don't know the law. So therefore, they can't be trusted in their judgment of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, the religious leaders say a prophet doesn't come from Galilee. They say that in verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They say you shouldn't follow Jesus because he comes from Galilee. They're the experts. They know no prophet comes out of Galilee. Well, firstly, they don't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So ultimately, he comes from Bethlehem, not Galilee. And Jonah definitely came from Galilee. Prophet Jonah came from Galilee, the one who ended up in the big fish. And probably Hosea, Nahum and Elijah were all from Galilee as well. And nothing in the law actually says 
that God can't raise up a prophet from Galilee if he wants to? They say, oh, no prophets come from Galilee, so therefore Jesus can't be trusted. He can't be the Messiah. And they just don't know the law as they should themselves. And then fifthly, one that's not given in the text about why we shouldn't trust the experts, the religious leaders, is that crucifying Jesus did not end the problem. They thought bringing him in, putting him to death, would solve everything. We'd shut this Messiah down. And what has happened 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. There's still people trusting in Jesus Christ. There are people still following him today. And those experts show that they didn't know what they were talking about. So if you do trust in Jesus Christ, don't be afraid of those who think you're a fool, who call you stupid, who call you an idiot, who call you dumb for believing in Jesus. Why? Because sometimes all it takes is a child to point out that the emperor actually has no clothes. All it takes is someone who's thinking a little more carefully to realise those experts, they don't actually know what they're talking about. In my experience, most people rejecting Jesus Christ actually don't know much about him. Like these religious leaders didn't know much about Jesus themselves. All they knew was that he was a threat to their authority. And so they therefore wanted him gone. And it's the same with people today. If they say that they don't like Jesus, you ask them what they know about Jesus. And you find out that it's usually appallingly little. They've condemned someone they know nothing about. And they have statements like, oh, the Bible's full of errors. And I always say, well, show me one. I've been studying the Bible for decades now, very closely, and I still haven't found an error in it. And you say, it's full of them. Well, point one out to me. Show me. Oh, I don't know. I just, you know, uh, yeah, I've just heard that the Bible's full of errors. Okay. Well, who's the ignorant one now? And the assertions of experts don't always make sense either. Look at them. They say they know something about Jesus, and it turns out they don't. But even the facts of this world that are held up as evidence against Christianity don't always make that much sense either. Consider Dawkins' fact from before. Richard Dawkins. He said, The fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would, not be mad, I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. The world evolved out of literally nothing. Now, he went to Oxford. I went to the University of Western Sydney. I'm a Westie, yes. Now, out West, if you do nothing, you get nothing. At Oxford, maybe, according to Dawkins, you can do nothing and still get something. Not where I come from. I don't know how that works. I just may be an ignorant pleb in this world, a Westie, a country bumpkin. But if you've got nothing, usually means you've got nothing, not something. If you look at these experts and actually start to unpack what they're saying, you can be a child that points out the emperor has no clothes. And so you don't need to be afraid of them. They're just bullies calling you stupid, dumb, idiot, ignorant fool with no basis for it. Now, you can argue with them. You can reason with them. You can tell them about Jesus Christ. You can try and look at their so-called errors in the Bible. But it doesn't always get you very far. Why is that? 
Well, bullies don't usually want answers. Have you ever tried to reason with a bully? Actually talk with them? They don't care about the content. Usually if you argue with them, it just makes them madder. The religious leaders here, they didn't want to listen to Nicodemus. He raised a point of order. What do they do? Call him a country bumpkin. They call him a Galilean. They shut him down immediately. They don't want to hear the truth. And it's the same with people today who call Christians stupid. They aren't interested in the truth. They claim all scientific evidence points to atheism. But don't bring in that Christian science evidence. I have a friend who does that. says, you can't bring me anything that's on a Christian science website, Joel. Okay, well, no wonder everything points to atheism. Christian scientists are biased. Well, if they really did believe what they're looking at, and it pointed to the evidence that there is a God, then you'd expect them to be a Christian. Like it just makes sense that a Christian scientist is a Christian if they follow the facts that have led them in a particular direction. It's always interesting to ask an atheist, what would it take for you to believe in God? What would it take for you to believe in God? They give the strangest answers. They don't say, oh, reading the Bible, seeing if it's true, someone being raised from the dead. They give strange answers. It's always interesting to ask what it would take. And often they say, I don't know. So what does that show? That they're bullies and that it's a moral problem when they call you ignorant as to why they aren't a Christian themselves. They don't want to submit to Jesus Christ. That's their problem. Just like these religious leaders did so many years ago. And so reasoning with them won't usually get you very far because they don't want to submit to Christ. They don't want God to be God of their lives. They want to be God of their lives. So if Nicodemus was bullied, we will be too. But I encourage you, don't let experts bully you into submission. Bullies often appear to have much power, but are actually weak and pathetic, bluffing their way along. And if your own mind is settled about Jesus Christ, as these guards were and the people of the crowd, then you have nothing to fear. Consider the facts, consider Jesus, consider his words, and forget about those who call you stupid. Forget about those who call you dumb or an idiot. Focus on the words of Jesus Christ and settle it in your own mind. And if you believe that Jesus is your saviour, then know that ultimately you have nothing to fear from those around you. People tried to seize Jesus twice in John chapter 7. In verse 30 it says that this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And in verse 44 it says some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. If you follow Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about other people. God can prevent them from laying a hand on you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't worry about them if they look down on you as an ignorant pleb. The Presbyterian minister Elisha Hoffman says, What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. You have nothing to fear from the bullies of this world. Maybe, though, you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You usually ignore Jesus by saying Christians are foolish. 
I encourage you this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, give Jesus a hearing and find out what Jesus is doing before you condemn him. Even the Greek philosophers in Athens many years ago, they let Paul have a chance to say his piece. They said, what is this babbler trying to say? Babbler being some sort of barbarian, a fool. What is he trying to say? But they let him have his say. Have you let Jesus speak into your life? 2,000 years later, I firmly believe that no one ever spoke like this man. The guards were right in their declaration. And if you will just listen to the words of Jesus Christ, you can see also that no one ever spoke like this man. And he is worthy of your trust, no matter how many people think that you're an ignorant fool for trusting in him. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and praise you for your wisdom and your knowledge. Lord Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us and helping us to believe that you speak like no other man. Jesus, we ask that you would forgive us for fearing the experts of this world. So often we are afraid of man. Those people who do not want to even listen to you, we fear them and what they think of us. Help us to listen to you, even when people call us fools. Help us to answer their questions. But Lord, we pray that most of all, you would grant them the same light that you have given us. So they too come to believe that no one ever spoke like you did. And so in your name we pray these things. Amen.